0: That's A N C H O R dot F M. Now back to the good part.
1: The fields full of dust. We don't even Cleaning shit off your scarecrow. This house is falling down, the base belly's all poking out. It can ramble with the mold, but still be stuck in a
0: drought. Oh,
1: Welcome back drown. to the Boundary Corner podcast. This is Curtis Wilson and my co host.
0: Brian Siegler, how's it going, guys?
1: I'm going well today, man. You know, working, having a typical beginning of the week stuff, man. How about you?
0: Man, not too bad. Uh, It's kind of a quiet day on the floor here today, so I can't complain, man. You have a good weekend?
1: Oh, uh, no. Terrible weekend. (laughs) My wife was sick this weekend, dude. So it was like me, you know, playing defense with my two boys uh, all weekend not enjoyable. Um she's feeling better now though, That's thank good. goodness. That's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you know, like your wife uh both our wives are teachers uh boundary corner uh listeners. Uh they're off today. So yeah. um you know One of those
0: strategically placed holidays especially yes. for your wife coming off the uh coming off the illness there.
1: E- exactly. <laughs> and well deserved for all of our teachers out there. So, you know, how about you? You getting to much this weekend?
0: Oh man, it was a, it was a quiet weekend at the single household. Though we did have
1: uh, my mom came in yesterday, um,
0: had some lunch and just hung out for a few hours before they headed back. But yeah, it was it was kind of quiet. Uh, nothing to complain about. So
1: I'll take it. Well, nice man. Well, while you know, just chilling, running back and forth between my two kids, uh, the older one playing a video game, the smaller one watching Blaze. <laughs> uh, I, I, I saw a tweet go out. Cam Phillips absolutely is blowing up in the XFL, man.
0: He is tearing it up. We had a hat trick of touchdowns last night from this man. Um, first game, he was beating guys deep. In this game, he was the, uh, the red zone threat. So he's showing that he can uh,
1: he can kind of do uh, do a little bit of everything. He, he's something like what? Now he's like, what, 13 catches, one hundred you know twenty five plus yards, four touchdowns. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, Hokie Cam Phillips. You know, one of those great players with us had that season in twenty seventeen where he really shined. Got drafted by the Bills, made it there a couple of years, and uh, then kind of faded off. But I'm gonna tell you what I'm seeing. Just the way he's playing, he he's gonna get a call in April. Yeah, he's he's gonna catch on somewhere.
0: He's at least gonna be on the ninety days somewhere. And the ninety man somewhere, and I think you know we'll see what goes from there, but you know I think he's doing too much in the x f l not to at least get a uh, a phone call in a in
1: a look for you know a week or so at somebody's camp oh no doubt and and you know this is kind of what i'm hoping the x f l can be like guys like cam who you know we we follow our hokies, but you see him kind like he can do it, but in the, and you see him get drafted excuse me picked up as a you know non-drafted free agent and he sticks with the team for a couple of years and it's like he's one of those guys that's going to benefit from this because the way i kind of see the xfl it's it's just a slight notch above most collegiate football but it's not in the realm of the nfl so for guys like cam like ricky who's on a team it's a chance to say hey i can play or give me a couple years to develop I've and, got a uh, good
0: analogy for what kind of I think the XFL looks like. It kind of looks like an entire season of what that fourth preseason game is for a lot of these players where they get maybe one half to maybe three quarters to kind of kind of show out where now they've got a whole season in this league to show what they're capable of. And you're going to start seeing um, – you know, you get more tape on a guy, and then you might say, "Okay, well, let's give him a little bit more reps in practice when we bring him into Kansas go round or something like that." So, I, I think those those are where the benefits are going to be. Yeah,
1: and and definitely for you know Cam Phillips, the Hokey alumni, um, he's doing the most with it. And so let's see in April if he does get signed to a roster. Um, something on last episode, guys, we missed. Didn't mean to, but I think we were so. We we mentioned his name, but we were so deep into recruiting and Portal and the guys who are gonna be here is Dalton Keane. Um got the combo. Rambo. Rambo uh got the combine invite. Good for him. Um Brian, you know, again being the football guy, is there a spot for Dalton Keene in today's NFL? Yeah, I think there's definitely gonna be
0: a spot for him. Um I'm not sure if he's gonna be that guy that you're going to see getting you know, 80% of the snaps for a team. Um, I don't think he's going to be that guy at the NFL level, but I definitely think he's going to be a contributor. Um, I think he's got some potential on special teams, even though he didn't do a ton of special teams with the Hokies. Just his frame, and his athletic ability, and his ability to block in space, I think you're going to see a lot of, uh, of special team use by him. And I think because of his kind of, versatility as an offensive player that's going to be a guy that you want to keep as maybe your third or fourth tight end on your roster that can do some stuff from the H-back role on top of maybe contributing on special teams.
1: Yeah, now I know people are going to definitely look at oh, what did he run forty wise? I want to see his 20 yard cone because the one thing if you noticed about Dalton playing a lot of sudden, a lot of those uh angle routes. Yeah, a lot of the pop passes. I think his 20-yard cone is going to tell something to a lot of teams because I think if if he runs it well like I think he is because I think he has some flexibility in his frame, I think that's going to tell people to saying, look how flexible he is. He's going to be that guy like if we're running an outside zone, we can put him at that H-back, and he can kind of swing his way through the guard and the tackle and get to the second level. That's going to be the drill, I think, that is going to show for him that if he does well, you're going to see him getting drafted day three.
0: Yeah, and his blocking in space was really good as well, and I think that's that's going to be another thing that we're, they're going to probably watch um, at these camps and, and, and watch a lot of tape on him is, um, you know, his ability to block in space is is really good. Definitely, um, I'd say top in that area, definitely not elite in the uh, inline blocking, um, but I think as far as uh, his, his ability to block in space, either in a lead role or, um, you know, split out, and, uh, and get into the second level against a linebacker or a
1: safety. He,
0: he's definitely someone that can uh, contribute there.
1: Absolutely. Uh, one other thing that Dalton kind of made a uh, splash with in the last uh, week or so here. Um, I'm going to read the tweet out, Brian. He made this back on the 7th concerning some people discussing Fuente in the Twitter sphere. And this was the quote per quote. Fuente is a coach that demands 100% out of his players every day. I don't think that makes it a toxic environment at all. And to be honest, I wouldn't want to play for a coach that would settle for less. If you're not 100% in, then get 100% out of the program. <laughs> you know, I, again, the negative Twitter sphere going on, and kind of Dalton answered, and you know, guys like Darrasaw and some other folks kind of replicated and kind of gave him the "Yep, that's it, guys."
0: So was that first blood or first blood part two?
1: Um, first blood. <laughs> That's the original. That's the original because you he, know he, if he, he goes popped it... on there and he
0: he he definitely uh, he he said his piece and I I appreciate that. I appreciate the players, you know, coming in and you know trying to make you know put put the program in the light that they feel it should be in instead of some of the um, the more toxic corners that we see in the in the Twitter sphere. And I mean, Twitter's always going to have a negative element to it, but. Yeah, um, yeah I, feel, I feel like sometimes the um, you know we, we get the, the loud voices coming from the smallest percentage. and I, I feel like you know, it's sometimes nice to have
1: the players step up and, and, and put some of that to rest. Absolutely. And, and their voices are definitely going to be the voices that these recruits can listen to more than just fans and other folks in the Hokie universe. Um, speaking of the Hokie universe, Kind of a big thing happened in um, the RVA today. Former defensive tackle for the Hokies, Jonathan Lewis, who had a five-year NFL career, um, he was named defensive coordinator out at Verona. Verona, who had kind of been down for a few years, thanks to Highland Springs, sprung back up, made the state championship game, beat Highland Springs on their way there, lost to Maury. I I like this. I mean, Lewis played with, you know, Daryl Tapp, new defensive line coach, Daryl Tapp. So, again, people are talking about let's cultivate the 804 and let's cultivate Virginia. Now, you got somebody down here who's obviously helping build a program back up. Um, What's your takes on that, Brian? Well, it's going to be nice, obviously, having some
0: hokey blood in the 804 and especially at a program like Verina that not only has, you know, some current high-profile wins, but also has a a big-time history of winning in the 804. So, I mean, it's going to be nothing but positive, I feel, both for the 804 in terms of recruiting in general and the 804 in terms of recruiting from a Hokie perspective in particular. So I see nothing but good things,
1: uh, you know, coming from this, especially from a Hokie fan perspective. Yeah, I mean, because you got Jonathan out there. Um, obviously, Sam Rogers took over Hanover, yeah. um, announced a couple months ago. Um, Lauren Johnson out of Highland Springs. Although Highland Springs now is to a point they're producing so much talent. Um, <laughs> the Hokies have swung and missed it, quite a few of them. But a lot of the guys they've missed that are going to significantly, you know, your top ten program, which is where we want to get to. So, you know, hey, guys. The, the talent's here. Don't be afraid to get it. Don't be afraid to use the connections.
0: Yeah, I mean, we've got, you know, you know Tab working the uh, 757, and I think, uh, you know, we need to tap into the 804 a little bit more because we did miss on a couple guys that we were looking for from the greater Richmond area, and it'd be nice to start start landing some of them guys again.
1: Absolutely, and and 2021's a big year. It is not only talent-rich down in the 757, but it's talent-rich in 804, it's talent-rich in NOVA, uh, this is a big year for Virginia, um, and I know probably in some future episodes, guys, we're going to be breaking down you know, what we're looking like 2021-wise, probably in state, and probably Brian taking a look at tape, me taking a look at positional, like how are we looking at the beast positions inside Hokie Nation and saying, are we going to go after this guy? Because, like, for example, if the depth chart is absolutely full, you know what? We'll, we'll make a push for him, but we're not going to go – head over heels because you've got a bunch of guys that can play it's a tough sell
0: well you got that and you also have with a crop of talent like the the 2021 talent is looking like both in state and um, within our recruiting footprint I definitely think that we're gonna go for guys that we know we can get them in we can get them um, get them on the field you know if not if not year one year two. Um, and definitely to build depth and not necessarily go after guys just to
1: stack at one position just because it's there. Absolutely. Um, Something else I've noticed really these last few days, the the Virginia Tech football Twitter um, account has really, I want to say, stepped its game up, um, trying to show culture, show personality, personality. I'm sure, Brian, did you, I'm going to go by each one of these, make sure you've seen them, because I have. Did you see the Fuente uh, Girl Dad drop? Yeah, that, that one actually, I'd say, impressed me the most. And the thing
0: that, aside from the content, the thing that, that, that stood out to me the most was how relaxed Fuente seemed in that, in that video. And the thing that really struck me was, uh, if you go back and listen to the video, listen to his accent. His accent is thicker in that video than in any presser I've seen, any other media that's been dropped out. He seemed like he was really just talking the way he talks and not, n- nothing seemed planned, nothing seemed, you know, inauthentic. So I, I think that, that that's going to be – that's going to go a long way with with, uh, with Hokie Nation, in my opinion, just because mm-hmm. it, it seemed relaxed and it seemed authentic.
1: Yeah, it, it did seem 100% authentic talking about his girls there. Um and talking about being a girl dad and then talking about the investment in the program, he he said it and it made me reflect back to remember the Titans and Hayden Panettiere's character. Like I I picture him walking in and like his (laughs) oldest daughter jumping on him about a play and like, okay. Um, But yeah, loved it. Um, The other one, the uh, Doug Nester's mom. Hey man. If mamas like programs, usually that helps. And If mama's signing off, it's a good thing. It is. And to someone of Nestor's caliber, Doug was a top 100 player. He had committed to Ohio State. Um, he had kind of held our visit kind of in the bag for a while. Because if you kind of hear that video, it was he kind of knew that if I go there, I know what's going to happen. And he waited and he went, and it wasn't long he flipped. And uh but again getting that approval from a parent, again kind of reshaping this is the culture, this is what we are, loved it. Um one of the cool things that just dropped uh very recently was it looks like they are putting up the new um locker room stuff. Yes. yes. And 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 in the words of uh, Ludacris, ludicrous, I got they got area codes. Um and I love it because he gives the guy's name and where they're from. And I think they used Ray Shard at the 804, Devin Hunter for the 757, um, James Mitchell fixed on Gap and Pelt for the 276, and then Hendon at the 336. Um, and those are – that's kind of where Virginia Tech is in the middle of, those four area codes. Um, we did miss a Northern Virginia there, but I'm sure we can probably see more of that. But, I, I'll, again – I like something like that. It, it's kind of showing you're here now, but this is where you came from.
0: Yeah. And, and it's showing that, you know, you come from different places. once you're here, you're here, you're a Hokie, you're a Hokie for life. This is home. This is
1: it's all about. Absolutely. And the last piece, um, and it's kind of going to kind of set up what we're going to be talking about here today um, is the, about a, Four to five minute feature on the four new coaches here um, between Tracy Clay's, Bill Terlnick, uh Ryan Smith, who's younger than us, which makes me sad, <laughs> and Daryl Tap, who's our age, which eh, that's cool. Yeah, I'll take it. <laughs> especially, especially meeting Daryl a few years ago. Oh, um, yeah. Again, hearing those guys talk, and uh, I, I don't know. Again, it just made you feel good. And I know there's been a lot of negativity we can you look for optimism and 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 I, what really struck me, Brian, and it was the way Bill Tiernick talked. You could kind of hear it was't it was very authentic in his voice about yeah the n f l something and it's great, but it's something about the right place, the right people, and what you're trying to get to and to me, that says something because it, Bill Tiernick can get a job at any NFL team he wants. He can. Oh yeah. His his dad's the godfather. He has shown that he can do that, and then he came here. Um. What else did you get from that video?
0: I mean, several things. I mean, I, I'm glad you pointed out the link uh, piece there. I mean, you know, he's he's talking about, you know, it's not just what you're doing, but who you're doing it with, and what you're doing it and uh, what you're trying to accomplish. So I think that's that that's the big piece for him. Um, I think just in general, it was great hearing directly from these new staffers and not just um, hearing stories about what they've done before or, you know, quick write-ups. It was good to hear it directly um, directly from them. And I think stuff like that, that you know, like you've been pointing out, is what the fans have kind of been clamoring for a little bit more. You know, we don't necessarily need to know everything that's happening, but if we can just, you know, get, get a little closer, don't keep us as much at arm's length. Um, you know, we'll definitely embrace that a lot more. So I, th- I think that's the big thing. It, it seems like everybody's excited to be in the building, and uh, I think you know they want to do something They want to build something new, but they also want to honor the traditions that we have that, that come before them. So I think that's big. And just how they all seem to be talking about j Ham's energy and hard work, and how that kind of was a big attracting uh, factor for them and why they're there.
1: So I think that that's that's the big things, the big takeaways that I have. Absolutely. Well, we've opened up, went through some things. Um, for the remainder of the show, this is kind of what we're looking at today, guys. Um, we're going to be looking at um, the staff itself. Um, obviously, you got four new guys we just discussed. There were some um, outgoing guys. Um, some of those outgoing guys wrote people the wrong way, the way, who, let, let go. Um, there are some staff changes, clearly. John's mentioned Jay Ham here, but um, Adam Leichtenberg as well. We're going to discuss that along with these new guys in that interview. Um, so before we go any further, we've got to stop here, and we've got to start with the outgoing staff. All right, so obviously the biggest um, outgoing coach is the legendary Bud Foster. To me, the greatest defensive coordinator in the history of college football. No doubt. Um, you know, it was big, but it was known. Luckily, Bud didn't pull anybody's strings. He came out in August and announced it. Um, sort of got the team and the staff a chance to, hey, let's, this is how we're going to look in the future. We kind of revert back to why the 2020 doesn't look great. Well, when you don't have a named defensive coordinator, it's definitely going to hurt. You know, I don't know what else to say on Bud. Brian, you and I were lucky enough. We were at the pit game. We were at, his last game in Lane Stadium, pitching the shutout, the defense that day played unbelievable. Um it was a fun time in the rain. It, it, it was
0: it was a fun time in the rain.
1: We were at the perfect spot though. We were at that <laughs> right out of the rain. We would have been two rows down, we would have been soaked, we were right out of the rain. But I mean, but losing Bud hurts. I mean, he'd been on the staff since, you know, since we were like in diapers got the uh defensive coordinator title back in the mid 90s and then ran with it for the next 20 plus years and I say legendary. I mean those defenses in the mid 2000s man if if we had any semblance of an offense in 0506 or 07
0: yeah um if uh, if we could have just been uh, you know above average in that category you're talking about some some serious some serious wins there um and, and that's on top of you know having having a run there that was better than you know most of the uh the top ten programs that we're talking about trying to get back to, so you know it's it's something you know it, there's some there's some kudle in there, but at the same time you gotta appreciate what he was able to do while he was there, and just glad that we got to experience
1: that ride pretty much from start to finish, yeah, we did our age group definitely did. Um, Let me throw this at you. Should he be the leading individual as to put coordinators into the college football hall of fame? There's none in there right now, but as you remember during the announcement and people were like, you've got to put him in there. He changed the way the game is played, the way people look at coordinators. You know, there's obviously some other guys. I feel like I cannot think of the guy's name, but the, like Switzer's O C who brought the wishbone to Oklahoma, some of Bears defensive those guys deserve to be in there. And I'm hoping with him being a younger guy, you know, in his you know, in his early sixties, I'm really hoping overall that they can get the benefit and say, Yeah, we're gonna put these guys in, we're gonna put a wing for the coordinators and the position coaches who, you know, head coaches are great, but if you don't have these guys on certain teams, these you know, these guys aren't as great as they seem.
0: And yeah, and there's guys that innovate in the, you know, the college football world that aren't necessarily guys that would make good head coaches or are interested in becoming head coaches, but that doesn't discount how they impacted the teams they were a part of because, I mean, they were bringing innovative ideas to the forefront. Now those, those head coaches were certainly, you know, they, they, in their wisdom, they saw, let's embrace these new ideas, but, you know, let, let's give some credit to the guys that are um, either taking, you know, what was already there and building upon it or kind of coming up with some of these, these schemes themselves. So I, I think that there's definitely a, a, a wing there that needs to be dedicated to these, uh, these coordinators that they really change the game in a lot of ways.
1: Absolutely. So there's our first, Big loss, but we knew about that ahead of time. The next one and the one that rubbed people the wrong way uh, was the letting go of Charlie Wiles. Charlie, who had been with the program, you know, since 96, so significantly long, um, was advised he wasn't going to be returned. Now, the way conversations go, he was given the option to coach the bowl game. He didn't want to do that. That's his choice. Um, Give me what your take is on Charlie. I love Charlie. I thought he always coached guys up good, never met him. But why do you think Charlie was all in all let go?
0: I mean, I think the biggest thing is that, you know, and we'll talk about this more as we get to the new defensive staff, but I think just with a younger coordinator, I think we're, we were moving to more of a younger, more energetic um, staff. I mean, i just think that, that that's that's the direction that we were heading and i think because of that it was pretty much kind of put put to charlie hey we're heading in this direction do you want to coach in the bowl game to go out with bud or do you want to go ahead and pack it in and and call it a day and unfortunately you know he decided he wanted to take that latter option which i don't i don't begrudge him but i i'm sad that that Hokie nation didn't get to see him and bud kind of go out at the same time because I think that would have been a pretty special
1: thing to see. Agreed. And uh, Charlie, clearly I think maybe one reason he did that was to get a jump on his next endeavor, and he is down at NC State now. Um, so going to be recruiting against him. He's got a friend oh. down there now too. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, yeah, Brian Mitchell, quarterbacks coach, also let go, um, also down at State. Again, don't know enough about Mitchell, but he was let go. Um you know I mean I think and, this is this is the
0: with what we ended up seeing I think this was definitely a push to get a guy with northern virginia ties and you know in state you know born born and bred virginian in in house for that position I just think that that's that's ultimately what uh would led to, to B. Mitch being uh, being let go there. I think we kind of had a couple of ideas in mind, and I think both of them were going to be Virginia natives. And ultimately, you know, you know, Ryan Smith is who we ended up um, getting at the cornerback spot. But I feel like that's kind of the direction we were heading and that unfortunately put, put B. Mitch on the outs there.
1: Yeah, and, and again, down at State, so again, going to be recruiting against him. Last guy let go, um, Zone Burton. Zone hasn't landed anywhere else, and that's something me and you were kind of shocked about because when he was originally let go, we are like, not shocked, um, was a part of the old staff, but we were like, Oh, ODU, Hampton, somebody within the first couple, within the first month will probably pick him up, you know, known as a good recruiter, but he hasn't. So, yeah, that, that was a big shock to both of us. I mean... I thought
0: definitely for sure one of the 757 programs would have picked him up whether, you know, Division one or Division I AA. One of those schools down there was going was gonna to scoop him up for at least a position role, if not an offensive coordinator look. And it just didn't come to fruition.
1: So it's very interesting how that went on. Um, so we're going to move on. So those are the guys out. Inside the program, there were some staff changes. Obviously, the biggest was Justin Hamilton going from – the safeties coach, two defensive coordinator, Justin's thirty-eight years old. Um, you, Brian, you, you did a little more you, for folks that don't know Justin. He, you know, there's a lot of stuff, and Brian did a little digging on him. So Brian, just kind of what you found out by researching.
0: All right. So I mean, we, we obviously got a Southwest Virginia native coming in, into the defensive coordinator role, which I think is a big thing. Um, both for the state and for the school, you know, there's been a big push by both the fan base and alumni um, to really, you know, start looking at Virginia a little bit closer. And I think this is definitely a concerted effort to really get back on that uh, in-state recruiting wagon and starting scoring some of those, those bigger, um, bigger fish from the 757, 804, Um, Northern Virginia. You know, I, I think that's the biggest thing that we're talking about just about Justin, in general, I mean, any Hokey fan's gonna know he's a versatile. He was a versatile player. He was a team-first guy, low ego. Um, you know, played three, or four positions, um, whatever was needed of him. He he was he was willing to to step in and and get it done. Um, you know, I think it, again. 38. So we're talking about bringing in a, a coordinator that's going to be young, energetic, um, but he's got that hokey blood in him. He's got that lunch pail blood in him. So I think you're going to see a blend of the old, but with some maybe some new ideas and some new new ways of um, attacking offenses that may um, help us, especially when it comes to things like containing uh, quarterback runs, which have kind of been the bugaboo for our defense um, despite all of the successes through, uh, in our history. So I think we might see some some new things from him that might uh, try to address that. Um, he was defensive coordinator at UVA Wise, coached outside linebackers at VMI. Um, and then obviously from uh, a Virginia Tech perspective, as a member of the staff, he's been, he had an on-field and off-field presence. He had a player personnel position when he first came on and now, um, you know, coaching the safeties. So, I mean, I think we're really getting a a really big asset for us. Um, you know, there is some, some fear because of the unknown, because we don't know what he looks like as a defensive coordinator at the Power Five level. Um, but in terms of intangibles and in terms of football IQ and in terms of just being able to build relationships with players and with the community, I don't think there's anybody that we could have found better.
1: Yeah, I agree. And the football IQ is the big piece. A lot of people, you know, while we were supposed to get some million dollar coordinator, yada, yada. But then you kind of talk and say, you realize this guy went from playing running back to receiver to flipping and playing safety for two years, then getting drafted and playing in the NFL for three years before he hurt his knee. Do you know the amount of intelligence it takes to do that to say, oh, yeah, you're going to learn this? Well, then you're going to learn this. Oh, now we need you to completely do something different and learn this and become so good at it that you go to the highest part of your profession and not stay one year, but make it three years and probably would have been longer if not for the injury. And when you think of folks like that, in my opinion, that's why when they named, I'm like, this is, first of all, the hokey through and through, but how smart you have to be. Brian, you played offensive line and you switch positions occasionally to say, You're not even switching. You're not even staying in your core group. You're jumping from this group to this group, and now completely other side of the ball. And the intelligence it takes, and the football IQ it takes. There's going to be probably things that he can see that not many players can see because I've done this before.
0: Yeah, and there's there's always a benefit from guys that were able to to play both sides of the ball at a high level, just because. I mean, as a as an offensive lineman that coach defensive tackles you know i didn't just coach defensive tackles on technique and things like that i also told them hey here's what the offensive lineman is going to do here's how you can counter that here's how you can uh negate that so i mean there there's bigger degree of of understanding there is not just scheme and knowing where to be and what to do but also okay well if they throw this at you knowing hey what's a good counter punch
1: Exactly, and there's going to be things he can probably see like that that, again, not many people have that same uh, view of.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to see what he's going to do. I mean, I, like I said, I don't know at this point what changes are going to look like. I'm really looking forward to the spring game to really see from a uh, scheme perspective how much different his calls are going to be relative to what, uh, what we saw from Bud.
1: Absolutely. All right, the second move was... Adam Leichtenberg was moved from the associate head coach to the running back coach. Um, <laughs> yeah. Curtis, I bet you have some thoughts about that. Oh, God. So yeah. I'm, I'm sitting here, and <laughs> A, when he was hired for the, the role last year, it's like, okay, okay, this is going to be your game manager. I felt we like we horribly managed games this year. Like, if this is your job to help Coach Fuente with the timeout situations and down and distance – oh, my God, there were times it was like, okay, call a timeout. Call, why aren't we calling a timeout? Somebody get in his ear. If that was his job, which you kind of wonder, is that your responsibility as the AHC, you know, it was terrible. Also, we didn't know what his responsibility was, which is in the tight-lit part of the program, which we hate. Is like, what are you doing? Um, and his resume doesn't, in you know, excite me. Um, no, he did play at Nebraska in the late 90s, early 2000s, when they were a very good team under Solich. Um, But then, like, he was a a GA at Wayne State. He was a GA at TCU during those good years. But that's a GA, not a position coach, nothing like that, a GA. Um, 2010 and 2011, he was a co-offensive coordinator at Central Connecticut University. I couldn't tell you if that's D3, D2, NAIA. So clearly not, you know, one double A or the highest level. And then 2012, he goes to Memphis as the personal pers- director, player personnel, much like we've got Pearson Prelude now doing that for us. Um, he had, he did a lot of stuff in that role, which is great, um, kind of get some different views and stuff. Uh, but he was not immediately brought to Virginia Tech by Coach Fuente. He went to UT Martin, where he was the pass game coordinator, wide receiver coach in '16. Then he became the director of player personnel in '17 at Tech. So it's just not, a, to me, not enthusiastic because I don't know anything about him. And my hope is we blow up. I'm hoping at in December I get to say, "Yep, yeah, I was wrong. This was the best." running back group we've had since David <laughs> Wilson. But I'm just so skeptical because the background, it's like, what is he here for?
0: And yeah. I mean, the, the <laughs> biggest positive that I see out of this right now is that, I mean, he is a, he is a food guy. He, he's he been with Fuente at multiple uh, stops at this point. And I think he's a guy that probably knows what Fuente is trying to do from an offensive scheme perspective. Um, maybe even better than some of the coaches we've had. Um, whether he can relay that information and coach up the the players the way he needs to is maybe the, the question mark we have at this point because, you know, based on his resume, we don't have a lot of big programs to, to, to rally behind his success. And in terms of the position itself, he hasn't really coached it. So, that that part is a little disheartening. It, it's definitely not something that I'm enthusiastic about. I'm I am glad from a um, recruiting perspective that we still got this guy in house because he seems to do really well on the recruiting trail. So, yeah, you know, if you're looking for a silver lining, um, going back to uh, I know we we talked about that a lot back in the uh, the Stein Spring days. It's like yeah. He can't call plays, but that son bitch can recruit. <laughs> he could. And, and I don't, like I don't it's know it's, if I don't know if this is going to be a similar situation, or
1: at least he's not calling plays. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <If> he's calling <laughs> plays, that'd be that, thing. that's
0: the upside. Yeah, but I, but I'm saying you know, in terms of actually on the field production, is he going to be someone that we see a lot from, or is he more of a
1: filling the role while being a you know a, 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 an ace recruiter? Well, we'll see. Tom will tell with that. Now, we're going to move on now, guys, to four guys. Me and Brian were both excited about getting hired. I want to start with Ryan Smith, the youngest of these four new hires. I'm trying to do the math. I don't think Ryan Smith is 30 years old. (laughs) Um, He is so young. youth. But um, as I look through his resume and kind of the stuff he did, I see him being young and I compare him to Leichenberg's resume and I love his. Um, Just a few things about Ryan Smith for everybody to know. Um, Ryan Smith is a Virginia born and bred kid, born in King George, uh, Virginia. Um, Went to William and Mary as a defensive back. So he played under Jimmy Laycock. Um, Laycock has a great track record of his players becoming excellent coaches see Mike Tomlin, the Pittsburgh Steelers, see Sean McDermott with the Buffalo Bills. Um, he was there for five years. He graduated in 2014. Um, also, he went to William & Mary. You just don't get into William & Mary to play football. You literally have to be a scholar athlete to get in there. So there is a clearly a very smart guy we have picked up here. Um, after he graduated, 2014, he went down to University of Texas-San Antonio as a GA. Uh, from there, 15 and 16, he was at Penn State uh, as a GA. 16 was their Rose Bowl season, one of the best seasons they've really had in the last two decades. Um, I-, I like us going to somebody that went to Penn, getting somebody who's seen the inner workings of Penn State, especially as much if they poached from us for the last couple of years um after 16 2017 and 2018 um under Kirk gignetti uh, he was down at elon as their secondary coach had some very successful guys down there a couple guys to make all caa teams um and in 2019 he actually was a walsh nfl fellowship with the green bay packers they have those throughout some of the former coaches on tech staff has been part of that but That's, again, exposure to the NFL, exposure to more coaching. Um, 2019, he followed Signetti down to JMU. And clearly, if you follow Commonwealth football or the state of the Commonwealth football, JMU had one hell of a season. Um, National runners up in the FCS. He was coaching just the safeties down there, which might be a concern to some people, uh, but not to me. Um, he had two first-team CAA safeties. Um, the one thing I see with all—if you look at his numbers—his defensive backs are aggressive. One of his safeties had six interceptions this year. Um, nice, Brian. Let me ask you this: um, I got a couple more things I want to talk with him, but let me ask you this: He played corner, he coached corner at Elon, but then he flipped to safeties. We do see this a lot with secondary coaches, like. You can coach one, then coach the other and go back. But what's the primary reason for that? Why will why you see guys do that?
0: I think the big thing that we've been seeing is our roster is kind of trending toward that versatility, that guy that can do a lot of things well. So I think that's kind of part of the uh, the philosophy here. But also I think, you know, as you're pointing out, it is. It, it could tell us the story about where Jay Ham is is heading with his philosophy um, for the secondary. Um, getting a guy that you know is aggressive in the secondary, both from you know safeties and and from corners. You know, I don't think we're gonna see a change in the philosophy of trying to get these get these guys in, uh, to turn over the ball. So I think that's still gonna be a linchpin of the the Hokey defense is forcing turnovers, getting the offense in a good position to score some points.
1: Yeah. Agreed. And thanks for that sort of explanation. Um, another thing I read again, I talked about his age. I think this was a huge move for recruiting being a Virginia guy. Um, not only for the state, you know, he's primarily going to be covering Richmond area and the seven, five, seven, but I think just overall, I mean, you put a guy this young old staff, you talk, I think a lot of relatability to recruits. Um that that has nothing to help. We're, we're we're about to go in the last five years from one of the oldest staffs in college football. That to now we might be the youngest staff in college football, Um but we're not young when it comes to years of coaching. And I think th- the age is a number, but the coaching experience is going to be there. And I think where where these guys have been is a
0: is a key component too, because you know you look at some of the stops of these guys. Yeah, they don't necessarily have. A ton of experience, but they've, they've been in, you know, behind the doors of some of these really, really key programs. Some of them, you know, at about the same level as us. And some of them are, um, you know, programs that, that we're aspiring towards. And some like JMU are, are programs that are in the state, but have had success in a different level of college football. So I think, you know, all of that experience is really, really important. Yeah.
1: Now, one guy that does have the experience is our new linebackers coach, uh, Tracy Clays. Um, Tracy's been coaching over 25 years. Um, He's a Jerry Keel disciple. I feel like when Jerry Keel came in last year, he sort of helped calm the ship after the Duke game, put us on a good direction. Um, Tracy's been a defensive coordinator over 20 years. Uh, Primarily, you take a look at all the stops, running a 4-3 scheme. Um, so it kind of fits, kind of tells us that we're probably not going to be changing our base defense too much when you see that. Um, I don't think you bring in a linebackers coach with a 4-3 scheme as his background for 20 plus years and say, oh, we're going to switch to a 3-4. I, yeah, I we're, know, not, we're not going to see that. Not going <laughs> to see that. Uh, but, but you know, Tracy to me is is really big. If you just kind of look at what he's did throughout his career, I'm going to start in really the last couple of decades, 2004 with Jerry at Southern Illinois. Um, they led the FCS in scoring defense at 13.2. A few years later in 07, they were an FCS semifinal team with another top 10 defense. Um, from there, he followed Jerry Kill in Northern Illinois, again, where they had success. Um, you know, in, in their 2010 team, which was their last year at Northern Illinois, him as the defensive coordinator, they ranked 14th in total defense. That ain't shabby. No, you're not playing no. the best competition in the MAC, but not shabby. Um, from there, they took over the Minnesota program. First year, and we'll kind of do a rundown just to kind of show you where he got that program is. Now, Minnesota, they're not getting the recruits we are. We're, we're recruiting somewhere between 30 and 20 primarily. Minnesota's more of that, what I'm seeing, that when Keel was there, that mid-50s to mid-40s range. So we're getting more profile, more higher-ranked guys. But this is kind of what he did. They were there first year in 11, 93-ranked defense. Then the next year, 43rd-ranked defense. Then the 24th-ranked defense. 34, 43, and then 21. So less talent, better conference, better competition. Not playing, not having too terrible of total defense numbers. What do you think? I mean, do you you feel the same with that? Do you feel it's some some hidden stuff in there, Brian? I mean, I
0: think think those are good numbers to throw out there, and I think also the thing to consider is that I didn't look at the offensive numbers, but I don't think that in my recollection that Minnesota was out there um, putting up 40 points a game. So that you know those defensive numbers stand for something because you're playing um, the Ohio States and the Penn States in that in that time frame that were putting up some some pretty serious points and that and you know still able to put out um, those numbers with that more middle tier recruiting talent um, that definitely speaks to you know him being able to coach those guys up and and get the most out of the talent that he has uh, on the roster. So I think. You know, I don't think there's any really negative to, to, to speak of in there. The biggest thing is going to be is can he translate that into what Jay Ham is trying to do.
1: Agreed. Now, I'm going to throw one more stat out here. Um, 2018 with Wazoo under Mike Leach, he had his best defense. They were the number four total ranked defense in the country. That was the year I am pretty sure that if they had not been on a snow-laden field in Pullman, they probably could have beat Washington and went to the Rose Bowl but unfortunately you're on the air raid offense and you're playing in the snow, <laughs> bad things happened. And it did that day. Um, yep. Now things did kind of end sour for him at Wazoo in 2019. The, the defense completely struggled. Um, but, you know, doing some research, it looked like there had been a significant riff with um, one of Mike Leach's longtime defensive back coaches Read some articles from Pullman. Looks like this guy was very vocal about things and kind of Tracy looked like he was just kind of sick of it and just kind of wrote his recognition, laid it on his desk, and left. Um and it, it kinda also spoke to Tracy's personality that this guy was more outgoing, louder, where Tracy is more was more of a reserved guy. Um and for a new defensive coordinator, having a guy with significant success coming in and you hear about like what the other guy did, it almost sounds like this is going to be a good role for Tracy. He doesn't have to be the vocal guy. He can be quiet. He can be reserved. Um, And the way I really feel like what's going to happen is I think Tracy is going to become the sounding board for Jay Ham. I think you're going to probably hear stories about after games, looking at tape as they're evaluating guys. Jay Ham's going to be going to him for things. Guy with this much experience, why wouldn't you? He's going to have Bud there, too. He's going to have a plethora of experience to go after. And again, hearing about Tracy's personality, I think he's that right type of significantly older guy to be on staff. He's not boisterous. He's not loud. He's the other way. And where you see Jay Ham full of energy and excitement, probably going to be able to rein him in sometimes. Like, oh, pull back a little bit, man. But i really like the Tracy Clay's hire concern in this uh, new staff.
0: Yeah, I think it's going to be really good for us long-term. Like you said, sounding board for Jay Ham, a guy that has, has the knowledge, has the experience, but also isn't necessarily somebody that is looking to pad their resume at this point of their career. So I think he's a guy that's going to be um, a big asset to Jay Ham as he kind of gets more acclimated to being a defensive coordinator at this level of college football, because he's got, you know, bud that he can lean on and Tracy that he can lean on when he, when he gets into a situation where, you know, he may not quite uh, be out of his depth a little bit um, as being a, you know, first time coordinator at this level. So I, I think, you know, nothing but good things there.
1: So Brian, um, When we were breaking this down, you got the opportunity to look at the two hires that were definitely, for Hokie Nation, more exciting.
0: TNT. TNT.
1: Let's start. Bill Teronick, go. All right. So you
0: got a Hokie fan and a Colt fan talking about a former uh, Colts defensive assistant whose uh, father was the godfather of defensive line and had some of the best defensive line output that the Colts have ever had. So this is right in my wheelhouse. I'm ready to talk about it. So let's do this. All right. So Tear links. So big thing for him. Um, pretty much been in four, three defenses uh, for the majority of his career. Um, so again, as we were talking, as you were talking with Tracy, I don't see us changing, not, not even dramatic changes to scheme. I think it's going to be more subtle um, as far as responsibilities, um, the amount of time we blitz, and then what you know, what some of the uh, some of the calls are going to be. I think that's going to be where you're going to see the biggest change, and not any sort of wholesale uh, flipping of defensive philosophies. Um, I think we're still going to go with a a one gap technique on defense because what uh, what Bill has worked in um, has been um, you know primarily that one gap defensive technique. Um, you want your line, your defensive lineman to get upfield. Disrupt the running back's angles, spill them to the other defenders that can make the tackle, and uh, you want to create pressure on pat on the on the passing downs and uh, get that quarterback releasing the ball before he's ready to. This guy's had, had some success in his career. Obviously, I, I mentioned uh, being a defensive assistant for the Colts when his dad was the defensive line coach. You know, from there, uh, you know he ended up with the uh, the Bills um, working as a defensive assistant with Mike Waffle. Um, another another a, a, one of the uh, another godfather of the modern uh, defensive line one gap technique uh, so uh yeah so you know mike waffles the uh, defensive line coach that was with the giants um the year that they took down the undefeated patriots in the super bowl so this guy knows how to get defensive linemen upfield and get pressure even against teams that have really good offensive lines like the patriots did that year so that's that's some of the stops he's been on, but I think the biggest thing for him is that he did work as an assistant defensive line coach with Mike Waffles. So in the scenario that we have now with with Daryl Tap working with him on the uh, on the defensive line, I think he kind of appreciates the dynamic of having two guys working in that role and you know what his role can be and what he can do to you know help Daryl grow in that role as well. As far as what we can expect to see from the defensive line. I mean, we're, we're going to be, I think, more aggressive at the defensive line, um, getting up field, getting in those, in those gaps and, and disrupting things. Hopefully that doesn't come in a detriment to, to the running game. Um, just because you can sometimes, uh, create bigger gaps and it's going to be important for linebackers to be able to, um, you know, make those tackles in open space when, when those gaps do get bigger as a result of, uh, of getting up field. But I think it's going to put a lot more pressure on, on quarterbacks to make faster decisions. And that's where the aggressiveness at the secondary level that you were talking about uh, with Ryan Smith comes into play and get those turnovers.
1: Let me ask this, Brian, from the tape you looked at, you know, there's, there's a difference between having to Freeney and Mathis and Lawson, but, but just by looking at it, are you skiing where, OK, sometimes he depended on the players, but there were sometimes he was doing things scheme wise where it was like there's going to be offensive lines not ready for some of those different looks and the way he, you know, slants and stunts like things like they're not going to be prepared for on any given Saturday.
0: Well, I think the biggest thing that and what, what the Bills were doing is that they did a lot of show and bail, um, which really makes uh, offensive linemen uh, frustrated.
1: <laughs> you don't
0: say so, <laughs> yeah so, so you know you got a guy showing blitz and then he'll bail out but the offensive lineman in the center probably more than likely has already made a some sort of check and now um, you know now somebody doesn't have a guy to block because the, uh, blitz, the blitzer that was showing is bailed out now where that comes into big time play is when a blitz is called but not from the guy showing so now you've got an offensive lineman that was expected to pick up a blitz that's not coming but now he's also the Odd man that has to find where that blitz is coming from and get there, um, and that creates a lot of the problems. That's why you often have a have a guy running free because you've got a lineman that's waiting on a on an a gap blitz, and now this center has to you know get outside and get to the outside linebacker that ended up being the guy that's blitzing.
1: Who do you think on the team right now, um, and i and I'll, and I'll put it at the defensive line primarily. Who do you think are we going to see the biggest growth next year with just having Carol Nick as his defensive line coach?
0: I think you're going to see a lot more disruption from the defensive tackles. Um, I think with the rotation that we have now and with um, some of the younger guys getting another year in the weight room, when we started, started a couple guys right out the gate um, that you know hadn't really been in the weight room, hadn't been a part of our program, and they were contributing significant snaps. So I think um you know I think a, a guy like uh like Fug is going to really um benefit from this from this new scheme because he's a guy that has has some size on him already but he's athletic and he can get upfield and disrupt those running plays and still get after the uh the quarterback as well. So I think you might see him get some more rotation this year on top of the fact that he's you know had a had a year in the weight room with us, but but just his build and his uh, his ability to get uh, get into the backfield is gonna I think pay dividends under uh, what what Tierling's trying to do.
1: Nice. All right, we're gonna move on, and obviously the last guy um, we're gonna talk about um, it's Daryl Tapp. In-
0: he, he needs really no introduction to Hokie Nation, but I'm going to give him one anyway. He,
1: he shouldn't. If you've been a fan for any significant <laughs> in the last 20 years and you don't know who Daryl Tapp is, I question your fanhood of Hokie Nation. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting in my
0: office right now. I've got a signed Daryl Tapp uh, pen that's sitting behind me. So um, I'm a big Daryl Tapp believer right here. So, um, you know, we're talking two time All ACC first teamer drafted in 2006 12 year NFL career with six different teams definition of lunch pail mentality hard hat mentality said you're not gonna outwork me I'm gonna keep this lunch pail the whole year you're not gonna outwork
1: me. he never gave it up we (laughs) joked with him about that and he was like yeah it was mine
0: (laughs) (laughs) kept the lunch pail when he got drafted I mean this guy can do it all and I mean um doing my research I was looking uh so me and him share one thing in common at least. <laughs> we're part of the six hundred back squat club. <laughs> he's six sixty, I got six hundred, so we're both in the six hundred club. So <laughs> we got gotta to, got to celebrate that on Big Squat Friday, right? Absolutely we have to. <laughs> um but I mean from a on the field perspective and from a recruiting perspective, on the field I think what he's gonna bring is he's gonna challenge these kids to work harder. And I think his pedigree—it's not just words. He's shown it on the field. He's shown it in practice. He's shown it with uh, with with the lunch pail. This guy is not going to get outworked. And I think that's going to inspire the kids um, in terms of how hard they work, both in the weight room and on the field. You know, to never quit. So I think that's that's the biggest thing out the gate that he's going to provide from an on the field perspective is you know that extra motivation to to get more out of these guys than they think they can really you know get out of themselves. From a recruiting standpoint, I mean he's rule. it does it, it doesn't get much better. I mean, you've got a guy you know came from the seven five seven was a hokie legend, been in the n f l and now he's talking to guys from where he grew up and saying, "Hey, you can be like me, let's go do this
1: absolutely and and indeed, it is it's any school he walks in down there, the credibility's there again. All ACC, all American, drafted, twelve years in the NFL. So much of that stuff, you know what? What can what can you know? Some coach say like, "Well, I don't think you should go there." The kid would side eye look him. Um, Brian, this is a unique perspective for you because you, when you played in college, you kind of are going to be in the. You were kind of in the the same shoes as the defensive line kids who are this year, Um, so because of. You know, go ahead and explain who you had because I mean you had an NFL guy. You had a guy who won yeah. a national championship. <laughs> it, it, tell me what the difference is when a guy like that is talking to you.
0: So I'll paint you a picture here. So I have my next to last game of my senior year, uh, I tear up my ankle, four or five month recovery. At that point I was, you know, maybe hoping it, hoping to get a school like JMU or William and Mary to say, Hey, come walk on for us. So I was pretty much at that point thinking, mm, yeah, I'm, I'm probably not going to play football anymore. You know, I was getting a lot of calls from Division three schools, but I just wasn't quite sure that that was going to be a good choice for me. But ultimately, I got a, a note from uh, Keith Conlon, He's coach for Hammond sydney He was coaching offensive line. Come to find out that Keith Conlin was a, uh offensive lineman for Penn State and won a national championship with Joe Pop, and uh, was drafted by the... Colts and then played for uh the uh, Saskatchewan Rough Riders for a couple of years before getting back into the coaching ranks so that kind of that kind of spoke to me a little I was like okay well we got we got a guy with that's been on that journey and you know he's working with this coach at, at him Sydney Sydney, trying to build something that's got to that's got to count for something so you know that got me in the building and just talking with him and talking with his journey and and talking about what uh what Coach Marty Fabret was trying to do at hamden Sydney that that sold me, and I ended up uh, you know playing at hamden Sydney. So, yeah, you know, I was at a point where I wasn't sure if I was ever going to lace him up again, and all of a sudden, you know, I get get another good three seasons playing the game that I love because of a guy like him. And I think Daryl Tapp is going to you know have a similar type influence on some of the kids that uh, that he's going to talk to, both in the seven five seven and really any recruit that he's going to talk to on the road.
1: Very nice. So um, we're going to be putting out a Twitter poll, guys. And what it's going to say is which of these new coaches, Ryan Smith, Tracy Clays, Bill Ternick, or Daryl Tapp, um, will we see impact game one the most? Um, My vote's going to be for Ryan Smith. I think, A, having Jermaine Waller, Armani Chapman, Caleb Farley, um, to a lesser extent, Jamari Connor. He's going in there with proven guys. And I think guys, he can immediately say, I trust from day one. I think I, that's my vote. And I will vote on there, of course. What about you, Brian?
0: I'm going to go with uh, out the gate as far as on the field. I'm going to go Bill Cheerling. Uh I think what he's going to bring to the table of, of getting those guys ready and just from a technique and scheme perspective, I think you're going to see a lot more disruption in the backfield. Um I think you're going to see sacks go up, and that's a direct correlation. You're going to see turnovers go up, um, whether we're talking strip sacks or whether we're talking interceptions because quarterbacks are letting the ball loose before they're ready to make the right
1: decision. Great. Brian, anything else we need to tie up on today's episode?
0: Nah, not really. I, I think we're good. I just really appreciate everyone that's that's tuning in here and listening to us and uh, helping us get this thing going because it's, it's been fun doing this, and I hope you guys enjoy it.
1: Absolutely. Continue to follow us on Twitter. Uh, we are now on Apple iTunes, so subscribe. So when we drop a new episode, it's right there for you to listen to. Um, hit us up on the Twitter account. If you've got questions, DM us. You know, we, We'll be willing to answer your questions. Um, you know, any feedback is uh, greatly appreciated. And uh, that wraps up this episode of the Boundary uh, Corner Podcast. This is Curtis Wilson.
0: I'm Brian Siegler.
1: And we'll let our buddy Jason Long play us out. Catch him on Spotify, Apple Music. Thanks for listening. And as always, let's go. Okay.